We consider the law of God at the ninth commandment in the morning service and the preaching of the gospel with regard to that ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The plan, beloved, is to finish our exposition of the Ten Commandments before the year is out and begin a series of sermons on prayer for the new year, the year of our Lord, 2023. The Heidelberg Catechism reminds us that the requirement of the Ninth Commandment negatively is that I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, nor gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court, everywhere else, I must love the truth. There's the positive. Speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. There's a lot there. There's a lot in the Bible about sins against the ninth commandment and the positive calling to speak well of the neighbor, the truth of the neighbor in love with regard to that neighbor, and first of all, with regard to the congregational member. So let's consider Ephesians chapter 4, So we try to do justice in one sermon to the truth of the ninth commandment in light of the gospel truth of the word of God to which we bear testimony. We have visited this chapter also in our house visitation this past year. Keep coming back to it. It's very practical exposition of the truth in Ephesians 4. We're going to read verse 17 and following and uh, see how we can expound the Ninth Commandment in light of this. And you'll note that this passage has a lot to do with speaking and speaking truth and the truth in general, not just this part of it, but the, the former verses speaks of ministers of the word and pastors and teachers and our calling to speak the truth in love, verse 15. But now we pick up at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility or vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you've heard him and been taught by him as the truth, there's the truth, is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. And there are the essential elements of the image of God. Walk as image bearers. Verse 25, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. As far we read God's word, and now we would hear what God would say to us about the commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The first question we want to ask and then answer properly is, to whom does this commandment come? We've been considering all the commandments, and of course, in the proper sense, we know that all the people of this world, rational, moral creatures, are called by God to keep the commandments of God. And so all are not to have other gods or to worship images or take the name of God in vain. All also are called not to bear false witness against the neighbor. And so candidates for president, those in business, those who are neighbors down the street, they're all called to the same thing we are. And if we are to hear something, some bit of juicy gossip at work by unbelievers, we're addressed in the ninth commandment, what is right or wrong about our response to this juicy bit of gossip that may be for the undermining of the reputation of the boss or of a co-worker. Especially to the Christian, to, to us now in the context of new covenant and Christ has come, and the Spirit's poured out, and the whole revelation of truth is given, especially to the Christian, does the commandment come, you, of all people, shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. After all, the first part of the commandment reminds us that we are to bear true witness to the truth. You shall not bear false witness, period, We shall be witnesses, testimonials of God of the truth, and that truth, as Ephesians tells us, is in Jesus. We are people of this word that God has magnified above all his name, that word which is truth, reality, the reality of God, of sin and grace and redemption, reality of yourselves and of myself. We are to bear witness to that. But then, and we may not leave off the other part of the commandment, we shall not bear false witness against the neighbor where the one who is next to us in the pew or, or wherever may not be worthy, we think, of truth. And they're evil, and they themselves are evil speakers. So we might be tempted not to... Uh, keep truth with them and dishonor them. The commandment comes to us as Christians, wherever we are, we are to not bear false witness against 
all kinds of neighbors, good and evil, in the church or not. This is simply because God's glory is at stake. God who came to this earth and spoke a word and bore true witness of himself would now have in the members of Christ these members of the body of Christ who are true witnesses of himself. And as we bear the truth and speak the truth in love to the neighbor and keep the prohibition not to bear false witness against the neighbor, we are giving glory to God in the body. That's why the apostle reminds us that we are to each one speak truth with his neighbor, referring to the body of Christ, for he afterwards adds, for we are members of one another. We are members of the body, not just of the human race, but of the body of Jesus Christ. For relationships, for the unity of the body, for blessing in our church, in our homes, and in and among the people of God in our communities, we would consider then our tongue and God's truth, or speaking the truth with the members, or speaking so that we can give glory to God in the, as the truth bearers that we are. I want to consider then, first of all, that our tongues are believing tongues. We're mindful, mindful of the fact that as we are to speak the truth uh, as members of one another, that our member, that tongue, is a very important and essential aspect of our speaking the truth, obviously, of and with one another. So what is it to have a believing or a Christian tongue? You ever think about that? What is it to speak as a Christian with regard to things holy and with regard to neighbors? Let's consider that. Well, we have to know that the Ninth Commandment, first of all, forbids lying in a courtroom, calls us to be true witnesses as before a judge. That's the setting of the uh, Ninth Commandment. And as Israel was given all of these rules and commandments for their social life together, they didn't have formal courts as, as we would, but they had ways of determining the truth. It was very important that they not bear false witness against one another. Now, that's striking. <clears throat> In those days, of course, they didn't have DNA or CSI, or they didn't have that in New York or Miami or anywhere. And they just had people, people to testify of the truth or not. And so the witnesses had to be uh, verifiable. And in fact, it was a very, very important thing in Israel for the truth to be determined among the people of the truth especially. I think, for example, of uh, Deuteronomy 17 and then 19. I'm going to read a couple passages there. There it says, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Those would be people who would go before the judge in a court. Two or three, not just one. Not to be put to death, in fact, on the testimony of one witness. The one witness could just be prejudiced. Maybe the one witness was the father of this girl 
or the mother of this boy or brothers or sisters had some vested interest and they might just twist the truth as people were prone to do. You needed two or three witnesses. In fact, the hands of the witnesses, and Deuteronomy 17 goes on, shall be the first against him to be put to death. And afterward, the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil from you, from among you. Very, very powerful testimony of the, the power of witnesses. And so important this was in Israel to bear the, the truth to the truth for the sake of the neighbor and that evil might be put away from people. But Deuteronomy 19 goes into more detail in verse 15 and following. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. Not just one. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry, and indeed if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, Deuteronomy 19.19 says, Then you shall do to him, the false witness, as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you, and those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity, life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and hand for hand, foot for foot. So there had to be witnesses. They had to be true. There had to be two or three. There was a penalty if there was a false perjuring of oneself. That's what bearing false witness in court is called, lying under oath, so that it might even be the death penalty for the false witness. wonder if that were practiced in our country, if there would be a lot less lying and far more thoughtful oath-taking in our courts. But so there is this court that is presented to us in the Ninth Commandment. But the catechism and all faithful expositions of the commandments expand upon the requirement, what is prohibited, and also what is required. And so it speaks of twisting one's words, gossiping and slander, lying about someone or telling the truth to his hurt, and then the positive calling with our words to speak well of one another and to encourage one another. So the Catechism has a, a very lengthy exposition here. The Westminster Confessional Standards have even lengthier um, exposition of the commandment. But now we want just to focus in this first point and why we do this as Christians especially. Why are we called to speak the truth? And this, not only because it's true, but because we love God and because we love the neighbor. Well, I already hinted at why. Why are we, this people, called to be uh, witnesses, faithful witnesses for the neighbor's sake? And the first is that we are forgiven. We are forgiven our sins and iniquities. Now, that's a great thing, you know. And that's why 
We are not lax, but we are careful with regard to our estimation of other people. That's why we would go there, not with animosity or hate, when we, fe- when we hear somebody speaking evil or doing bad things, because we are forgiven. And beloved, this is what we've tried to focus on in all the preaching of the commandments. We are these people here, people of the Exodus, who are forgiven our sins. Israel was let out of the land, and the blood of the Lamb had been their way out. And God's calling them out and opening up the the Red Sea and destroying Pharaoh, picture of his redemption of us in the fullness of time in Jesus' blood and by the calling out of the Holy Spirit of God and leading us to the mount not only of Sinai but of Calvary. We are forgiven. In Christ we are. And our deceits are forgiven. This is what we've, we've considered all of these commandments long. We're the ones who deserve wrath. and Forgiveness is free. So with regard to the transgressions of the ninth commandment, we're forgiven all of our deceits. And every time we've said a sly word about the neighbor, the pastor, the elders, the people in the church who rub us the wrong way, sometimes even are obnoxious, we would say something. We would encourage one another as we dig our, the hole, which is the grave of our neighbor, even in the congregation, by our words. And so we want him down and we want ourselves to be up because we would never be so obnoxious and we would never be so weak and we would never be so inconsistent as that person. We say, and this is our problem, we say what's on our sinful minds. Besides that, we would slander and even outright lie about people. We'd gossip about them even in the church. And basically, we would not only speak evil things about the neighbor, but we ourselves would be people who are very inconsistent in all of our lives. More of this we're going to speak about in our next point with regard to the challenges. But we're forgiven. And note what the apostle says in the very last part of Ephesians 4, our text where he speaks of our calling to speak the truth of one another and our members. In verse 32, verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And here's the motive. Even as God in Christ forgave you, Secondly, our gratitude in light of the forgiveness of the cross is because we are now people of truth. It's amazing. We, the liars born in Adam, who was hatched by the devil and believing the lie of the devil, so that all men became liars because the prince of, the, of this the netherworld, the devil, is a liar from the beginning. Well, that's who we were, as liars, about God and about one another, and about God and 
his coming near to us and other people somehow. Why, why would he do that? Why would God do that? Come near to us and other people who bear his image. You can't stand the sight of God and the image of God and the righteousness of God. And so we take it out on God when the neighbor comes. That's what we're doing. All these sins against the second table are sins because we don't like the God of the first table of the law. And they're all about that, you know. All of the commandments, every breaking of one is breaking of the first. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, we do that all the time. And it's principally because we are those who think we are God. We can call the shots with regard to God saying anything to us, but also with regard to what the neighbor is in our life. And he's our neighbor, and we'll let him get close, and we'll let the minister get close and visit us in our homes, maybe, as long as he doesn't get too close. And tell me what I don't want to hear. And then the tongue starts going. One of the beauties of being in a congregation for as long as we've been together, about 12 years now, 11 years, is we get to know each other. That's beauty. And we get to forgive one another. Not only have to, but we get to. Just like we forgive each other in our own flesh and blood. But it becomes more than that. The minister representing Christ and bringing the word in good times and bad. And we're doing well when we're sinning and the elders doing this and the deacons and so on. It becomes more of a family that's not just about Hatfields, McCoys and whoever else. Not just about blood, blue blood, green blood, whatever blood you got. But about the spirit. And so what matters is that we're united in Christ and that the word of God has brought us together. This is the loveliness of a sovereign grace church and of any other church. And I say, as we get to know each other, a privilege to do that, we say, Thanks be to God. Because the God who knows me and cares for me, he comes knocking on my door. He comes loving me up. He comes rebuking sometimes. And I'm going to speak well of that God and his messenger. Be thankful. That's what we get to do here. Where was I? We're new creatures. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Love that passage. People take it out of context. They think, oh, it's just, just about being new, but just read it. Read it with me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's something. That's the decisive break that God's regenerating spirit works in us. You're born in Adam. You're born again in Christ. You're born a liar. 
And now you're born of the truth to be a truth-sayer and a truth-in-love-sayer. And so the way of gratitude is that we're forgiven, we're new creatures, and we keep the commandments then. We begin to keep this to the glory of the God of truth and to love the neighbor who's made in God's image. And I know we've talked about this before. Is the neighbor still in God's image who's, who's nevertheless left God and doesn't care about God, is wicked, maybe even reprobate going to hell? Is that person still in the image of God, beloved? Whatever you think, know this. Whatever that vestige of the image is left in that person, it's only a vestige. And the heart is taken out. And the righteousness and the true knowledge of God and the holiness, it's all out. So that there's these people who were made originally in the image of God, but they're representing themselves. In any time they face a neighbor, it's only to like the neighbor who likes them and to speak well of the neighbor who speaks well of them and who is a neighbor that can be to the advantage of the other neighbor. That's the kind of person we like. This leads me to the second point here, beloved. There's a challenge in being God's people and speaking the truth to our neighbor and to his, his edification and building up. It challenges the world. Uh, first of all, the world. And that is human beings, all human beings. And it's not to be esoteric or to be indirect here, but we need to remember that the reason why people are out to get other people, not just in political debates and not just on the Internet and so on, though that leads the way, it seems, is because before that, people hate any kind of truth, any kind of truth any kind of reality of God, any kind of morality of God. It's all to each his own, and everything's judged by me, and you can never uh, so clearly see this as when people try to climb up the hill of human carcasses and reputations in their speech and in their lies and in their articles and in their sanctimonious self-justification, sinning against the ninth commandment. This is the world we live in. A bunch of liars. Romans 1 says of the Gentiles, they hold the truth under all truth in unrighteousness. And that's why the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all of that ungodliness and unrighteousness and all of these sins against the ninth commandment. Man calls God a liar. Man does not believe that God would send these kinds of neighbors in my life into the neighborhood and who'd paint their house pink and why are they doing this? So we have a word for them and for the God in whose providence has led us to them and them to us and given us a bad boss maybe and can't stand him and don't you know... We say to the co-worker, our boss is lousy. So we live in this world. And there's the great manure spreader, the Internet. 
Think of it that way, won't you? I wonder how many of us are so busy receiving from the manure spreader that our thoughts become smelly about anybody and everyone. And we just listen to the commentators because they're on our side, right? They're against abortion. And they're against the government taking over. Okay, great. How do they get there? How do they get in office? And how lying, so much of it, not all of it. But there's fake news on both sides. And it has to do with sinning against the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth commandment. And the first is love the neighbor, even if he's your political opponent, and speak the truth in love to him or her with regard to him. What do you say? You say we just can't roll over. True. But we cannot be unchristian with regard to message and method, either one. The world, that leads to this, of course, our sinful nature, which goes along with this stuff. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah the prophet says. By the grace of God, our hearts have become pure. However, there's this old man. Paul speaks of it. We're to be those who have been taught. We are the ones who are taught by God as the truth is in Jesus. And taught by God, we are taught to put off concerning our former Gentile, alien from God conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And we're called instead to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and to put on the new man which was, according, was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And the first consequence of that is that we put away lying and each one of us speak truth with his neighbors for we are members one of another beginning in the church. But that to which I point is not the world therefore only but to ourselves. We need to see the enemy and that he is ourselves. We have this sinful nature. That's why we're called to do something. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. More on that presently. And finally, there are situations in life, and I can only describe this as a challenge because living in this world with sinners and as sinful people by nature, we can contemplate lying and even justifying our lying because of situations, lying about the neighbor. And every time this comes up, and it comes up at classical exams as it did last time, people come up with the Rahab situation. You know Rahab, children? And she... She lied about the presence of the spies that were in Jericho. And through this, God let the, the spies go and 
This was for the defeat of Jericho. And then there's the Hebrew midwives who lied about the, the fact that the, the Hebrews were being born and the Hebrew males and so on. And everybody says, well, then lies are justified. Or maybe there's a David and his fighting and he was told by God himself to go around the mulberry bushes or when they shake and to be deceptive in his tactics against the enemy. These things come up, I say, with regard to the ninth commandment and say, it's not always the case that telling the truth in love is, is the option because there might be greater things at stake. For example, the hiding of the Jews when Hitler comes knocking on the door and the Gestapo representing him. And so people say it's okay to lie. We can bear false witness even, they're saying. To which I say, impossible. And I'm firm about this. We may never bear false witness against a neighbor. Now, I know these are situations, some of them, for example, you're hiding crooks, or not crooks, good people in your, in your basement, and bad people come, and they don't deserve the truth. What do you say? Well, I believe, beloved, if we were as Jesus and had perfect faith in God, we'd know exactly what to say without transgressing the ninth commandment. And Rahab was never justified in her lie, but in her faith. So the Hebrew midwives. And I'm not going to say with regard to David's war tactics that all is fair in love and in war, but there's something different about times of war than outright lying against the neighbor, bearing false witness as this commandment prohibits. We are people of the truth. When? When it's convenient? Always. Even though we get crucified for it. Imagine Jesus saying, I don't know, Herod. I don't know. I don't know, Pilate. Caiaphas, if I'm Messiah... I'm not going to tell you. Trying to get out of the cross. Terrible that would be. What a coward we would say. How about us? You see, it's a Jesuit sort of thing, a Roman Catholic sort of thing. At the ends justifies the means. And lying about this and that and the other thing is okay because the Protestants are heretics anyway and we've got to get them. Beloved, there's something here that we need to die for. Greater than us and our convenience and our safety. It's called Christ crucified. The truth as it is in him. And in the body willing not only to bear the reproach, but to risk our safety and our lives. Are we willing to do that? So positively, <coughs> excuse me, we are called to speak the truth as we've heard it. And if you go back in the first part of Ephesians 4, it's the truth of our unity, love it, and the truth of the Christ who first descended into the lower parts of the earth, then he ascended, and then he gave pastors and teachers, apostles and all. He gave means 
that there might be truth in this earth, in this place called the city of truth, Zechariah 8, verse 3, the church. The church which bears faithful witness to God and faithful witness to the neighbor and loves the neighbor, second thing, loves the neighbor, truth in love. And speaks the truth, for example, even of a a weak child of God. You you know anybody who's a weak child of God? I'm looking at 49 of them. We're all weak. Not necessarily under the category of weaker brother, but we're weaklings in ourselves. You know anyone who needs a little loving or a lot? A little bit of forbearance or a lot? Like your children or children like your parents? Needs a little kindness? Needs a little good word, an encouraging word? In the church, in the midst of a battle maybe? I'm sure you do. Love thinks well then. Striking how love is so much of an amazing virtue. The the one who's loved of God loves people and loves sinners and loves all kinds and every stripe because that one knows that God loves himself and herself and he doesn't deserve it. At all. Doesn't deserve a kind word. Remember what happened when Moses he lost his he lost his love for a minute. And those rebels, they did it to him again. They complained to God, they complained to Moses. Where's the water? You find it in the book of Numbers. You find it in In the history of the world, when a minister loses his cool or in the congregation or in and he says, Here now, you rebels, and God says, No. That's not the truth. What? They were rebels. Do you know what God saw though? Christ in them. Isn't that amazing? The shout of a king. Something that Balaam would see. That God has beheld no iniquity in Jacob or perverseness in Israel. He, He sees his people there. He sees the colonel. He sees the heart. He sees his son. He sees the blood. He would glorify his word above all his name on the earth. The word, I love you. And so therefore, when you're dealing with people in the church, we call it giving it the benefit of the doubt, not a good term. Just say, we hope all things, because that's what love does. Love hopes all things and is kind and is charitable. So when you see that person and they've messed up, and there's a lot who are easy targets, aren't there? Because we mess up. We're in a funk. 
just can't get over it. Can't get over life. Life's problems, it's messes, it's manure. Can't get over it. And you deal with that person who's been baptized in the name of the sacred trinity and who otherwise confesses Jesus, you say, ah, but Jesus, remember? And you child of God, I want to speak well of you and to you to encourage you. You see, the apostle Paul doesn't say here, just you remember, you speak well of his neighbor. For some of us are members of one another. He says, we're members of one another. We're in this together. For 12 years of 20, we're in this together. And forever. Well, just finally the blessing. I do want to warn you of the cursing upon liars. Among the six, is it? Sins that God hates, or seven in Proverbs, three are those sins of the tongue. At the pearly gates and just outside of them are those who remain outside, and they're the liars, all of them. And the things that God hates and the sinners that God has hated in their, the way of their unrighteousness, they go to hell for their lying, for their bearing false witness. Maybe they got under the radar of the elders of the church or of you yourself, but they were liars. And it wasn't just about their tongues. It was about their integrity or lack thereof because, you see, we, this is another story altogether, another sermon altogether. But the ninth commandment just has not to do with tongues, but of hearts and of consistency and of what you are, not just in public, but in private, a man or woman or child or young person, teenager, of truth or not. And the last I knew, beloved, because the Bible says so, truth or not is truth, not just in 75% of your life. It's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us God. With regard to God, with regard to the neighbor. The blessing, positively, is that we grow up. This is what Ephesians 4 has been speaking about. We did on family visitation. As we speak to one another truth and love, and as we love the Lord Jesus together, we encourage one another to grow, to grow. Nothing like a congregation whose leadership, for example, is censorious and oppressive and leading by the way of commanding only. That's death. That's the stultification of a people. They don't grow except to be careful, careful what they say. Careful about the rules. Beloved, where there's a leadership and where there's God leading the way, as in this congregation, by the sheer 
multitudes of the grace of God. Where that is the case, there's a people who loves the truth, who are in love with the truth, who love Jesus, who love one another, and who love the next person in the door with all their warts, whatever color their hair, because we're God's. And he's made a difference here. He calls us his city, his people of truth. That's you. And wherever there's a people that calls upon the name of God and loves the neighbor for God's sake, word and deed, amen. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us here So we consider thoughts of this ninth commandment and truth and all this means in light of the gospel. May we be renewed in our carefulness of speech, in our motivations. May we, Lord, be repentant about our our sinful gossip and slander and spending too much time in the world and listening to the world and its words of hate and its words that are not from heaven but from the earth or even under the earth. God bless us that we might think upon things that you would teach us and be as Jesus who came and who loves sinners and who is the word above every other name that you have given. Hear our prayers, Lord. Thanks for making us your people. In Jesus' name, amen.